Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Now, to tell you something, people, football season has started, and it's quite different this year because this year the Eagles are the Super Bowl champions. And, you know, all those years I would go through a hard time watching them lose. And I was watching the Atlanta game the other night, and I'm watching it, and I'm sitting there, and it's close, and it's it's a really shitty game. and But it comes to the end, and... I was stressed, but I wasn't worried because my feeling is even if they go 2-14 and 14 this year, until February, they're the Super Bowl champs, and I can finally tell the people, all the Cowboys fans and Redskins fans and Giants fans who always gave me a hard time, who say you don't have any rings, you have a, we have a ring now. So it's going to be an interesting season. There's like no pressure, and I'm feeling good about it. Anyway. We have a great show today. We have a very talented uh, TV writer who actually used to be my neighbor in Burbank, and now he lives in my old apartment, and my guest is Mark Valadez. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Steve. Thank you for having me on. The pro- now, now, I know you, I, I see your dad posts on Facebook. Uh, your dad's a big Bears fan. Are you also a Bears fan? I am. I'm a really big Bears fan, and uh, we were disappointed last night. <laughs> it, was, it was a heartbreaker. Yeah, it was funny because I was watching it and I, I was sitting there. I even posted on Facebook how how amazing Khalil Mack was for not playing and not knowing oh, yeah. the system and just destroyed it. And then Rodgers gets hurt and then I'm watching it and I, I dozed off. And then I woke up and I look at the score and then they took the lead and I, I didn't even know what was going on. You guys must have been going crazy. Oh yeah, it, it was it was loud in this apartment, <laughs> you know. I, and it, it's true. I, you know, it's like I turned around and then I, I looked back and I was like, "What happened?" You know. Uh, but uh, it should be interesting, interesting season. That's for sure. Now, now you're a Chicago Bears fan because you're you're from Chicago. Now, now you're. I read something. Your dad was a police officer, but first you come from a family of steelworkers. Yeah, yeah. Um, in uh, South Chicago, where uh, for a lot of years, you know, particularly like I think, uh, well, years after World War II up through early '80s, it was a big uh, company town. Uh, particularly that area of Southeast Chicago, little, little areas like um, called with name, cute little names like Slag Valley and the Bush. <laughs> but it was all, all these little neighborhoods nestled in the uh, uh, shadow of U.S. Steel. Uh, and uh, uh, my grandfather and, and my dad, who came from, you know, he was the youngest of, I think, like six or seven boys. Uh, so um, they all followed their dad into U.S. Steel. And uh, my dad was a machinist for, you know, most of his early working life. And uh, then, of course, the steel industry in this country went on the wane. And uh, in the 80s, and there were a lot of mass layoffs, and uh, uh, he uh, eventually had a second career, because he was still a relatively young man. He had a second career uh, in Cook County uh, with the police department there. So. so now you're growing up now, for you as a kid, because, you know, you've gone into writing, and I know you've wrote some comic books, which I didn't know about you until I read up more. I mean, we didn't talk a lot, but I didn't really see much, and you were my neighbor. But um, as a kid... Were you interested in sports? Were you interested in TV? Or how did this whole route to your career start? Like, at what point, as a kid, were you just really into TV or comics? Or what were you into as a kid? Well, I I was a big uh, movie and TV buff and also a big reader. And I probably attribute that to 
being an only child. So uh, I always tell people, you know, I was one of those kids in the, you know, in the 70s, the, t- the TV was my babysitter, you know, I was a latchkey kid, both, both parents worked, come home, let myself in, microwave something, and, <laughs> you know, I'd get home from school and plant myself in front of the TV. Um, but I was also a big movie buff and a big reader, and, you know, for me, uh, not one of those mediums was more important than the other, you know, it was like a, a cracking good story was a, a cracking good story in my mind, whether it was, you know, TV, movies or books and I found stuff that spoke to me in each of those mediums and uh, you know I was also you know as a, as a kid I wasn't a big athlete I, you know, my dad was the athlete I, you know I was a, I was a Chicago Cubs fan you know which coming from the south uh, south side was a whole other story after itself. <laughs> right. but uh, but yeah but I only mainly I found my my calling I think in in writing I just I started writing very early on when I was a kid, uh, like short stories. And, uh, you know, long before I even knew what the hell I was doing, you know, I was writing my own stories. And uh, like anything else, you know, hopefully you get better at it. So you're, you're writing now. Now you're going to, you're going to, in, through high school and you go to college, I believe you went to Northern Illinois University. When you went there, what was your major? And did you sit there in high school when you were going to college thinking, I want to pursue writing, or did you say, I just want to go to college, because it's college? Uh, you know, I knew pretty early on what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to write in some form. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny, in, in high school, um, you know, I knew, I, I realized the, the medium that I wanted to write for, although I loved fiction, and fiction was my first love, uh, I ultimately aspired to write for the screen. Uh, film and television and you know what's funny is that you know you and I have bonded over this this is one of the things we bonded over um, Miami Vice was like the big show it was, a, it was a, a favorite show of mine at the time when I was in high school and one of the first things that I, I wrote which like I said long before I knew what the hell I was doing and I'm sure it had you know absolutely no resemblance to an actual usable script but I my first effort was a script of Miami Vice, you know. Well, it's funny. And, uh, As I say, it's funny about Miami Vice because I'm older than you. When I was in college, I wrote in my term paper. I had a mass communications class, and I wrote in my term and like the term, term paper, the other paper, how Miami Vice was was a fashion statement and a music statement. And, and you know, we look back at it now, and you know, you, you know, you've seen all episodes like I have. And when you watch them now, they're sort of cheesy. But back then they were so cool. Sure. Like the stuff they say, you can never get away with because it's so politically incorrect. But back then, it didn't make a difference. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was you know, at its best, I think it was cutting edge. I think at its, you look at it now, it's true. It's very dated. And some of it, you know, feels like it was written like 80s television. But right. then I think there's other episodes, other pieces of it that at its best, it was really well written. And uh, they were doing things that, you know, like you said, in a, in a more politically correct time, they probably couldn't get away with. Um, and I think it was probably one of the first instances, I think they were a little ahead of the curve, and that they were doing stories with a little more moral ambiguity than had been seen on television at that point in prime time. So, so that really spoke to me as, as a writer. That was something like, you know, I wanted to to be a part of, you know, to write those kind of, you know, gritty, edgy stories. 
Now, your Miami Vice script that you wrote as a high schooler, do you remember the story or do you remember, I mean, and, and I'm sure you didn't know how to do the uh, formulating because, you know, when, when you just watch TV, you don't know what goes in a script. People don't know that a sitcom is double space and it's 44 pages for a drama and you take out the time for the commercials. When you write it, did you type it out? Did you write it on a notebook or what did you do? I typed it out and my old, you know, clunker of a typewriter and, you know, I had, you know, very little sense of what a script actually looked like or how, you know, an hour program was structured, which is, you know, generally four acts. Uh, nowadays, um, they're often six acts, an hour drama. But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't broken up in acts. It was just one long, you know, stream of consciousness thing, typewritten, and uh, the format was way off, but it was, you know, I think it, it was formative in the sense that, you know, it was me getting my feet wet, you know, it was a, you know, a kid trying something, and uh, you know, I caught the bug off of it, you know, and I just kept writing and eventually learned what a script format was. When I was in college, um, I had uh, occasion to correspond with uh, a writer named Eric Blakeney who uh, was a television writer at the time. Uh, he was uh, a big part of the Stephen J. Canal family. You know, Stephen J. Canal, of course, being the big mega producer of the 70s and 80s, 18, and 21 Jump Street, and uh, Wise Guy, uh, which was another favorite show of mine, which at the time in the 80s was, a, I think, a series that kind of presaged The Sopranos in a lot of ways with uh, the anti-hero motif. But uh, Eric Blakeney was one of the, the key writers of that, and I think he later was the showrunner of 21 Jump Street. And, uh, you know, and as a kid in college, and I had this notion that I wanted to be a television writer, um, somehow I, I, you know, I tried to reach out to the guy. And I think through some dumb sheer luck, you know, I sent him a, a script. I'd written like a few more scripts on spec at that point, and I kind of had a better handle on the format at that point. Um, and I sent him uh, one of my efforts, and it got to him through the Writers Guild, I think. And uh, amazingly enough, the guy responded to me. And uh, he sent me, like, some scripts, like a wise guy script. And, and uh, you know, and this was, like, gold for me at the time. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I studied this stuff. I studied how they did it, you know, the format was, the, the structure of it. You know, obviously, I still had a lot to learn. I mean, it takes a lifetime to learn, uh, like, anything worthwhile, any, any craft. But, um, but that was, you know, a big moment for me to, to you know, to uh, commune with someone like that, of that nature, who had worked in that industry, uh, and have them actually respond and take an interest to me. That was uh, a big encouragement. And uh, the, the funny coda to that story is that uh, I'm still in touch with this guy today. Uh, we kept in touch. He kind of stepped out of the TV loop. And he spends uh, most of the year in Europe, and I think he's working on a novel right now. But, uh, you know, I uh, had a, I a place just up the street from uh, the offices of Queen of the South, where, which is the TV series I was working on. And, uh, you know, when I, when I stop and think about you know, how far I came, you know, getting from that point to that, you know, from point A to point B there, that's, uh, you know, uh, it boggles my mind. Well, now, when you graduated college and you're, you're going to college in Illinois, when you decide you're going to move to L.A., 
Was it was it right away? Did you sit there and say you got out and you said I'm going to get out there and start hitting it, or what was your process to get to L.A.? Uh, you know, I really took the route through the woods, Steve. Uh, it took a long, long time, uh, I, um, and I think I'm, I'm better for that. I like to think I'm a better writer for that. Um, I had a, a, a whole other life um, before I came to Hollywood. Um, you know, I obviously at the time as a kid in college, I, I had notions of, oh yeah, I want to go out to LA. I want to try my luck in that industry. Um, but you know, life intervenes and thank God it did because I, I think you, it's better to have, uh, a life, life experience to draw from, I think when, when you write. And that's what I did. I got out of college. I, you know, I graduated Northern Illinois and, uh, I worked in corporate communications for over 10 years um, in downtown Chicago. Um, and I also taught creative writing. Uh, and I did a lot of different things. And I, at the, during that time, I was writing mostly at night. And I was uh, doing, I started making some money as a freelance writer. And one of the first paying gigs that I had as a freelance writer was in the comic book industry. So I, I so yeah, it took a, a long time before I finally left Chicago. And what finally brought me to LA was uh, I got an opportunity with this program called the ABC Disney TV Writing Fellowship. And it's a program where they select eight writers a year, and uh, most of them are local. But if there's any that are from out of town, they'll you know they'll bring you down with a, go to California and give you a little living stipend for a month. But basically, the big appeal of it is like you're considered like a Disney employee for a year. And during that time, they um, try and staff you on one of the ABC shows. ABC, of course, being owned by Disney. Um, and uh, that's what brought me to L.A. full time. And that's how I eventually got my representation, how I got an agent. Well, it's funny. You said, you know, you wrote for uh, some comic books and... Were you a comic fan? Because comic books, when I see it, it such, seems like a, such a uh, precise market. Like, you know, a sitcom, you can watch, let's say, The Cheers or, you know, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And you can watch a few episodes and you get the gist. And not saying you're going to be able to write a great script, but you you'll, you know what direction they're going to go to. But in comic books, these people are fanatical. Like, they know or anything like that. But in, I always see people <laughs> in comics books, they know so much. You know, they're... They, and like even when it gets to the anime and stuff like that, when you wrote the comic books, was it a popular comic or was it something the underground comic? And and how was the writing style for that compared to TV? Because you were brushing up on all this TV stuff. Yeah, it was more of an underground comic, and uh, I think um, not having been a huge comic book person, you know, as a kid, I mean, I, I, I had comic books, I read them, you know, I, you know, I read Spider-Man, Marvel, DC, and all that, but I wasn't a huge comic book junkie. Um, but I think I took to the form because uh, the format of a comic script is very similar to uh, that of a, a film or TV script. Um, the, the formatting is a little different, but uh, the accent, of course, is on the visual, writing for the visual. And um, the, the publication that I did was something called Masks with a Q. And basically it was a, a collection of short stories 
uh, adapting short stories by guys like Stephen King and Robert R. McCammon and uh, Clive Barker, I think, had a story in there. Uh, and it was kind of like these Twilight Zone type short horror stories adapted to a comics format. They had like a really cool illustrator um, and uh, they were looking for writers to adapt these short stories uh, to a comic script. And uh, I got the gig mainly because the editor of the project was a guy named Mort Castle, who's been really influential in, in my writing career. This was a, a guy who was uh, a high school teacher of mine and uh, my first creative writing teacher. And what was really cool about him was he was a teacher who also had a book in the bookstores at that time that he was teaching us. And, uh, you know, I would, you know, I could run the Crocs and Brentano's at the time, which is a big bookstore out there. And, you know, and I actually see that his book on the stands, and this was a guy that I was seeing every day in, in his creative writing class. Uh, so that was a big, um, a big kick for me. And, uh, you know, this guy was like a real writer. And uh, he started getting into the world of, you know, years later when I was in coming out of college, I was still in touch with him, and he started getting into the world of graphic novel. Uh, and he was editing this project, and he brought me on board, and uh, it was my first uh, my first paying gig, and it was you know my first uh, toe dipped into the world of comics and graphic novels, which really is uh, a universe unto itself, I think. And I think it's probably fortunate that it was an underground comic. You know, it's still in print um, by IDW, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, I think, you know, at the, at the time, like you said, uh, comics fans are, are really, they're, they're boned up on their, the, the mythology behind the stuff that they love, the stories that they love. And... Uh, you know they're they're rabid fans, and uh, you know you one deviation from <laughs> from something, you know they're going to call you on it. So. so you got that done. So then you said you know you got the Disney program, and it got your representation. Now, when you got through that, the program was what a month, but you worked, you were under employment for a year. Uh, it was a uh, a year, a year long program, and that was in two thousand nine. And it's uh, pretty much why I settled in Burbank <laughs> at the time. I was like, it was close to uh, ABC Disney where I was going every day. And then I kind of just ended up staying in Burbank after that. But, uh, yeah, it was a year-long program. And uh, during that time, it's like you, you write a, a script uh, uh, for one of their shows, and they try and staff you on one of their shows. And uh, the, the really funny story about that is, you know, I was always a drama writer. And the show that they staffed me on was, of all things, Scrubs in its very last season. Well, you got staffed on so Scrubs. That, yeah. And now that's, and you said it's the last season, so I always know in the last season it's not, you know, it's a little more lax. But what was that like for you going on to a show that probably the writer's room, a lot of the guys already knew each other, and also, you're going into comedy when you're a drama writer. How did you take that in stride to sit there? Because comedy's not easy to write. I mean, neither is drama. But uh, how did you take that in stride, and how did you acclimate to the room? Oh, it, it was it was quite an eye opener, and uh, you know, I think it was a real challenge for my my first experience in any writer's room. Uh, it was it was tough because, it, as you said, it's true. I think it's very true. Comedy. You know, they say dying is easy, comedy is... <laughs> dying is hard, comedy is easy. I think, you know... Right. Uh, 
or or dying, or it's actually the opposite. I'm sorry, but uh, it's it's tough. Comedy is very tough, and um, you know, these were like ex SNL writers, ex Mad TV writers, uh, and it was like really like being caught in a, a crossfire of punchlines there. So we we did a lot of laughing. I mean, it, it was a lot of fun to to be around these guys and and, and listen to them riff on each other day in day out. And uh, it, it was a funny situation because it's like Scrubs had been running for for like seven years, I think, and it had been on NBC most of that time. And then it uh, it was going to be canceled, and then I think ABC took it over in the last two years, and and uh, then it was supposed to have been the final year, and then it, it, ABC uh, decided that it still had some life into it. So they renewed it for like another 13 episodes. And basically they had already, the, the season that had aired before had already essentially for all intents and purposes been the series finale. And it played that way very definitively. So they were in a unique position of, they now had to reinvent the show. And the way in which they did that was they concocted, okay, we got this uh, incoming class of med students and we'll still have Zach Graff for like three episodes to pop in. And, and uh, John C. McGinley was still in the cast. Uh, he was still, you know, he was basically the star of the show at that point. And uh, he was the one riding herd over this cast of um, these new fresh-faced, uh, green-as-hell med students that they were hoping to reinvent the show with, you know, from their point of view. And uh, I don't know that it quite worked. <laughs> it kind of, if you blinked, you missed it. But uh, uh, but it was essentially like a whole new staff at that point. So um, I think the, the only holdover from the old Scrubs writing staff was a guy named Andy Schwartz, a uh, very great guy who, you know, was kind of Hollywood royalty in the sense that his, his grandfather, I believe, was Sherwood Schwartz, okay. the guy who created Gilligan's Island and um, Brady Bunch and all those. And uh, so he was the only holdover from, from past seasons of Scrubs. But it was all new people, and like I said, it was all ex-SNL writers, and some, you know, some very, really funny minds, and uh, sharp wits, and just quick, quick wits. But um, it wasn't my, my wheelhouse. You know, I, it wasn't one of my strengths. And um, But what you also find out is, you know, you're also, in, in that capacity, you know, the, the staff writer is the entry level on any TV writing staff. And I was actually a rung below that as the ABC Disney writing fellow. <laughs> I wasn't quite the staff writer yet. I was almost like a glorified intern. And uh, basically, as they say, with any staff writer, your, your job, your primary job is to uh, open your ears and, and listen and observe. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it's done. And that's what I, I tried to do, so. So you did that, and you're on there for that 13 episodes. That ends. So now what do you do? Because you're coming off a sitcom, uh, but you you consider yourself probably more of a drama writer. So you have an agent, though, so that works. But so now where do you go? How do you forage to the next level? What do you, What are your eyes? You're sitting there. You're unemployed now. I mean, you know, in all honesty, that's what people, a lot of people don't understand. I've talked to writers, you know, Jeff Astroff, who created Trial and Error, you know, he he's sure. pitched yeah. tons of tons and tons of pilots and nothing, and a lot of these guys say you know Rob Long after Sullivan's Son you know he created it he wrote for Cheers 
He's unemployed. Writer, people don't understand. Writers end up being unemployed, and it's hard to get staffed. What do you do now because the show's over, and of course you want to look for work, and I'm sure once you work in a writing room, you don't want to go back to a normal job, per se, you know, that's not in the entertainment business. Where where did you go? What did you do? Uh, well, it was tough. I, I, I didn't work for, I think, almost two years at that point. Um, and what you have to understand with um, these programs like the ABC Disney program, they're, they're great entry-level programs that, that will, you know, kind of expand the talent pool. They'll, they'll find, you know, people who didn't have um, access into the industry any other way, uh, you know, that didn't have an uncle in the business or, or what have you. Um, these programs are great, you know, to give access to those that didn't have the access. Um, but what you have to understand about it is um, when I was staffed on Scrubs, uh, the show itself wasn't paying me because I was coming from the ABC Disney program. Uh, they were covering that. I was getting paid for them. So it was almost like the show was getting an extra hand free in the writer's room. You know, they didn't really have to pay for me. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's like almost like at that point, I was still stuck in the starting blocks because, um, I mean, I'm sure you can speak to this. This business is such a catch-22 situation, whereas no one wants to be the first one to take a chance on, on someone untested. And at that point, after Scrubs, it was basically like I was still untested, you know, uh, because a show, an actual showrunner hadn't been the one to hire me. I had come out of the ABC Disney program. Um, and like I said, you know, it was almost like being a glorified intern, which is not to cast dispersions on that program. It's a great program, and it made, the, you know, the difference in, in getting me out here and getting my foot in the door. But, uh, yeah, those, those first year and a half, two years after Scrubs, it, it, was, it was rough. Well, the, the saving grace is I, during Scrubs and during the ABC program, I had uh, gotten my agent, uh, my first agent, and, um, you know, uh, I went into it after that. I felt like I was, I was a little naive. You know, I, I felt like, well, you know, things will happen. You know, this next TV season, you know, I will, you know, we'll get my stuff out there. I'll be working. You know, I'll really get, you know, be a staff writer and, you know, and it'll be great. And it, it really um, doesn't always work like that. You know, it, it takes a, a long time. It's, uh, uh, there was a lot of um, dues paying that needed to, to go on. So, yeah, I was basically living on unemployment at the time. Uh, I couldn't get arrested. You know, I was picking up little freelance jobs here and there, freelance writing and, and things of the nature. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, it's like one key, first one TV staffing season went by and then another. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't get any traction, you know. Uh, and then finally... Um, I got staffed on a show called Perception, which is uh, ITNT, which ran for a couple of years, um, and uh, you know that you know kind of got me back, you know, back on the, on the path again. But but it was tough getting there, and it just it, it takes a lot of perseverance, perseverance and a, a lot of networking. And you know, fortunately, coming out of that ABC program, I was still in touch with a lot of the executives there. Uh, who like me and, you know, would, would make phone calls on my behalf and would let me know when there was uh, 
some opening or, or some opportunity. And uh, that's what eventually got me working again is, you know, that that network of people. Um, uh, this, I mean, show on TV shows, they really do, they'll hire their friends, you know, and uh, the people they know. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why networking is so important. So you, your own perception, and that's the drama, and that's with uh, the guy from Will and Grace, Eric McCormick, Eric McCormick, I believe. Eric McCormick, yeah, and Rachel Lee Cook, yeah. Now, how long were you on that show for? I, I was on that show uh, the first season, and, uh, it, you know, it, again, it was a, a weird situation because um, I kind of joined them in mid-stride. Mid they had a 10-episode order, and they had already broken, like, five episodes. <laughs> But um, because my last name was Valadez, and because they had um, some money earmarked for what they call the diversity writer, uh, you know, then they they hired me. They brought me on. But like I said, the train was already running, and that's very hard, especially in a serialized show, to like you know, when where a writer's room is already you know well configured and everyone is already you know bonded with each other and. Uh, you know, it's hard to kind of join in midstream, um, but that's the situation I was forced into. And everyone was great. Everyone was very nice and welcoming. But uh, I didn't feel like, you know, I had like a whole lot to do in that show. Again, it was almost like a situation of um, uh, sitting and observing as the big boys played. And, you know, kind of saying, well, coach, you know, let me off the bench, put me in, you know, uh, which didn't quite happen. That <laughs> first season was perception. But uh, what was good about it is it gave me a track record, at least, and it made it easier to get the next job. And that next job was gang-related at Fox, and that's where I felt like I really, you know, that's the first time I felt like I really came into my own as a writer. I was being treated like a writer and being used like a writer. And that was a show that I watched, me and Joanne watched, and we enjoyed it. And it was one of those things where I thought the ratings were good. I thought the storylines were good. It had a very good cast, but it only made one season, I believe, which, you know, gets you irritated when you watch because you never know what happens then. You know what I mean? It's like when you know right. the show is going to go off. Did you expect the season? I mean, what were you expecting? Did you expect this show would go on another season or did you get signals earlier? Or how does that work when you're a writer? Do they inform you? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of in the loop, uh, for, for much of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think we were ever like a huge, we weren't quite a ratings disaster by any stretch. Um, but we weren't like a huge, we weren't drawing huge numbers, blockbuster numbers. Um, and you know, the, the, the convention, there's something to it, um, in regards to gang related is that had we been on cable, uh, our our numbers would have been good enough, but because we were on network, one of the big four in prime time, um, you know, the, there's a kind of a they're less forgiving if you don't perform uh, really big right out of the box. And uh, you know, I know we we were on in the summertime, and uh, our, t our time slot was kind of tough. Uh, I don't remember quite remember who the competition was, um, but. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was tough, and uh, you know we weren't we never a huge, huge hit, um, but we did amass 
a cool following, and which you can see on social media and things like you know things like that. Uh, you know, a lot of the writers were live tweeting with with fans of the show as the show was airing, um, which is kind of a big thing now, I think, for a lot of shows. Um, so there was a point there where I thought, you know, it could go either way. You know, um, at, I remember Fox, some of the Fox executives, um, they were really behind the show. Uh, they they seemed to really like it, and uh, but I think that one of the things that worked against us also was there was a regime change at Fox at the time. Right at the top, um, they brought in some some new new blood at the executive level there, and uh, you know I think while they they liked the show and they liked what we were doing, um, the numbers ultimately couldn't justify keeping it alive. Um, so I mean we we were one and done, which was kind of a shame. I mean, it was a fun show and it was a, a fun staff. You know um, we all got really tight with each other really quick. And uh, we had some really fun stuff planned for a second season. Um, and I think if you look at it now, the show, um, look at it on Amazon or wherever, uh, you know, the, the season, it, it stands. Those 13 episodes do stand. The, the ending of it stands as a resolution. Um, but you obviously see where it's been set up for, for it to go on, you know. So that ends, but now that must make you feel a little, you know, bummed out for the fact that you felt like, you know, as you said, the first time you really felt like a writer. So now where do you go after that? You know, you have to keep, you know, you have to hit the grindstone again. You got to keep pushing. What do you do then? Do you, you have that show under your belt now. How do you end up on your next show? Well, what was great about gang-related is um, the difference between that and, and perceptions. I never got an episode on perception. Um, episodes aren't guaranteed to the staff writer. Uh, Gang Related gave me my first produced episode of television. So I had that under my belt. So I, I was probably a little easier for my agents to sell at that point uh, to get me meetings. Um, and again, I, I built a network of, of people on that show that, you know, friends, other writers and producers um, who, you know, would call me with opportunities or, you know, uh, who wanted to work with me again. And that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, one of my best friends is a guy named Ben Lobato, who um, is a great writer. He, he wrote uh, on Justified. Uh, he wrote on uh, the Jennifer Lopez show, Shades of Blue. And uh, he's someone who I wrote with on Gang Related, who I, I bonded with. I mean, he at the time, it's funny, he was living in Burbank as well. And we were um, carpooling to work a lot of the time on gang related. And uh, this is a guy who just, I, you know, I hit it off with right away and he's become, you know, he, he, he kind of kept me working uh, because he, um, his next show was uh, a show called Ice and he, uh, uh, which was a show run by another ex-gang related writer, Robert Munich, who, um, so those two guys really kind of brought me on to their next project, which was the show Ice for Audience Network, DirecTV's Audience Network, which is still kind of obscure. I'd be curious to know how many of your listeners actually heard of Audience Network or, or seen Ice, but, but that was the next show. And now that was for a season, and you also got to write uh, your own script on that show? Yeah, I did. I did write a script on that show, and... That was cool because, you know, I got to write uh, a monologue for Ray Winstone, who 
uh, is an actor who can make the, the phone book sound sinister. You know, <laughs> it's just with that gravelly British accent. And, uh, you know, I, writing for him and also Donald Sutherland was in that episode and Jeremy Sisto. Um, you know, I mean, it was just a really cool cast. Um, it was a kind of a crazy show. It was, we were writing in LA and it was shooting in Vancouver. Um, but set in LA. <laughs> Go figure that. It was set in LA, but we were shooting in Vancouver, which is one of the realities of the, the, the movie business or TV business. But, uh, and it was, there was some, some crazy turnover. Um, you know, we, we brought in a, they brought in a new showrunner at the, the last minute, which is James Manos. And, uh, um, so it was kind of a chaotic, uh, show to work on. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's some great people on that show, you know, uh, and in fact, it was, um, James Manos, who, of course, was not to name drop, but this is a guy who created Dexter and he co-wrote that co- iconic college episode of The Sopranos. Um, he, he ended up taking over ice while I was there, uh, for the last few episodes of that season. And, uh, uh, he brought with him a fellow named Joe Halpin, who was, uh, an ex LA County Sheriff who, um, LA County Sheriff's officer turned writer who had written on, uh, Hawaii Five O and a few other shows. And, uh, I got to know both of those guys and those guys took a liking to me and, um, Long story short, but I got, uh, just made a huge difference in my career. And, uh, I ended up following Joe Halpin to his next show, which was a show that he himself created called The Oath for, for the streaming platform Crackle. Now that's shot in where? Puerto Rico? That's shot in Puerto Rico, yes. So you went down there and was that around the hurricane season or was that before or after? After the big hurricane hit? Uh, it was right before the hurricane season, and I was done myself. Myself and a few of the other writers were done and flew back, had flown back to LA. Uh, and they were filming the, the last few episodes, and it was uh, Joe and, and some of the other crew there still. And uh, I think shortly after we had left is when they got hit. And uh, we were evacuated from, from the island for a time. Uh, and production was on hold uh, for. A, a little while, I think it was maybe a, I'm not quite sure, like a, a month or two. But and then they uh, were able to reconvene and finish it. Um, and uh, you know, but yeah, that was it was a crazy time. I I, I just missed that bullet. Um, and uh, but you know, I got to right before that. You know, I Puerto Rico. It was a great experience. It was a beautiful island. You know, the people are very hospitable, and uh, it was. Uh, you know, a great place to film in. I mean, we got a, a tax incentive there. Uh, it, it, was, it was weird because it, it was a show that was, originally it was conceived as a, a Los Angeles set police corruption drama. Uh, and somewhere in the development process, uh, they decided, okay, we're going to make it an unnamed Miami-like city. We're not going to specify what the city is. And it's going to be an unnamed Miami-like city, mainly because... Puerto Rico had chosen as the location. And, uh, but, you know, I, I look at the show now on Crackle, and, um, you know, it, it looks like Puerto Rico to me. <laughs> right. but, it's, uh, but it was 
it was a cool show to work on. I had a lot of fun with those people. Now then, now, now you just wrapped up on Queen of the South. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're right now we're um, on hiatus um, between seasons for Queen of the South. Um, the third season finale is going to air this coming Thursday, and we're hoping to hear any day now as to our our, our pickup for season four. Uh, so it's you know a lot of stuff is still in flux and up in the air, but uh, uh, you know it's 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 been a great experience working on that show. Hopefully, we're going to keep keep moving forward. And uh, but yeah, it's uh, Queen of the South is kind of uh, where I've been this this past year. Well, that was you came on in the third season, or what season did you come on? Uh, I came on in the third season, and uh, what had happened was I was in I was. On my last couple of days there in Puerto Rico, and uh, uh, Ben Lobato, my old uh, compatriot from Gang Related and Ice, he um, he was on Queen of the South, and uh, he called me in Puerto Rico and said, "When do you guys rap?" And I told him, and says, "Would you like to join up in Queen of the South, or you know, like I can get you, I can at least um, get you a meeting with uh, our showrunner, which is Natalie Chides. and." Uh, you know, obviously in this business, you know, it's, it's like the big drive is to just keep working, you know. It's like I was coming out of a season one of the oath, and I didn't, you never know if there's going to be a season two. And uh, so I just like, yeah, absolutely. I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, I had met with Natalie before. I had met her at the Writers Guild. We'd run into each other, um, some networking event. So um, I knew her a little bit, and I knew her work, of course. And, uh, you know, I met with her for Queen of the South, and um, uh, she liked my writing, and uh, she was gracious enough to bring me on board. So now, as you said, you got through that episode this season. Uh, you, had a, you had your own story written, which is always a good thing. And uh, as people don't know, you know, when you write your own story, you get paid for your story about besides your salary, right? Yeah, yeah, you do get... Um, it's. It, the staff writer, um, and I don't know quite why the, the what the logic is behind this, but staff writers uh, only get their salary. They don't get paid for a script that they may write. Um, once you get, like, you jump the next level is story editor. And story editor and up, you get paid for your episodes on top of what you're getting paid, you know, weekly for being on the show. So, And I was an executive story editor, so... So now you're sitting there, you're waiting for the to see if you get the green light for the next season. Will, are you going to pursue work right now, or are you going to hold off for a little bit to see what happens? Um, I've been uh, taking a lot of meetings, um, and I've been working on some new material. And, uh, you know, i got some things kind of in development. Um, it's, it's, a, it's early to talk about right now, but um, uh, there's, there's a couple of scripts that uh, there's one that was, was optioned. And uh, so, um, yeah, there's some coals in the fire that I, I'm dying to talk about. And maybe we'll come back and talk about them once they take shape. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, mainly my, my focus during the hiatus has been, you know, working on a new material. I think it is, a, you know, when you're a writer in TV, um, you know, you're going through that whole routine of you, you, every year you try and staff on a show and, you're lucky you're staffing on shows. And, but you always want to keep the, the chops sharp 
by you know having new material, your own original material, pilots, you know, features on spec, um, and that's something that the agents and the managers, which I have both right now, they will they will ask you for. You know, then you've got to get get a new a new sample out there circulating. Um, you know, you never want them to be like you never want to be out there trying to get uh, staffed on a show and uh, they're reading a sample that it's like, hell, I, I, I read this four years ago from this guy, you know? Right. It's like, you always want to have like a new sample out there and so that's what I've been trying to do is this hiatus. Well, cool, man. Well, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me and uh, people, if you go to IMDb, it's Mark Valadez and you can see all his work and you can check it out and the good thing about IMDb is it says what, you know, which stories you wrote, like you wrote the teleplay and the story for El Diablo on Queen of the South. So people can look that up when it comes out on, you know, Netflix or Amazon and check out your writing, which must be great for a writer. Also to be the fact that, you know, as you said, you would send letters to that guy and you didn't know how to formulate, you know, a script when you're younger. Now it's so easy for writers because they can send something to someone on Facebook or an email, or they can go see a spec script. So I think it's it's easier for writers that way to learn without, you know, to learn right in the very beginning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With the Internet now, the advent of the Internet, um, you know, the, the resources are out there now. I mean, you can find scripts for your favorite movies and, and TV shows online, you know. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, really kind of teach yourself. And... Uh, I think there's so many programs out there and, you know, between the film schools and, and, and other things that uh, it is more accessible now. It's not such an arcane art as it was in, say, like the 70s or early 80s. Um, it's a little bit, a lot more interaction now, I think, between the audience and the industry. And uh, you can access things like that and teach yourself. Cool. Well, once again, I want to thank you and I... And people, he lives in my uh, old apartment. Now it's a new apartment, and he lives there. And uh, it's it's a great building, but they raise the rent, and LA's rent's going too high. But anyway, so people, now do you, twi- are you are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. Yes. What's your Twitter? So, uh, it's um, oh, just I'm drawing a blank, but it's uh, uh I think it's a valid as twenty five. I think uh, so. Um, but I, I can. Uh, I got to double check that, but I am on Twitter. Usually, I'll, I'll, if you type my name in, it'll come right up. So. Okay. Well, so people follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find 700 episodes there. Also, you can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net, and I'll get back to you. Tell me what kind of guests you want to see. Here, not see. Also, don't forget uh, my Instagram is coopertalk1. And I put a lot of pictures of my food up there. Because they come from my cookbook, Stop the Salt, which Mark bought. StopTheSalt.com. It's 120 low-sodium recipes. No pictures to, him, to intimidate you. Easy, easy to make. No long of ingredients. So do that. So people, go follow Mark on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, take your vegetables, and eat your vitamins. And I'll talk to you guys next week.